welcome to the World We Got This podcast, brought to you by King's College London. In this series, we take a look at the complex issues we face in the world today. We ask those researching and studying these fields about the challenges we face, the impacts they are having on society, and what we can do to help solve them. Hello, and welcome to this episode of World We Got This in Conversation. You're about to listen to a conversation between PhD candidate Sarah Darlin and Dr Sylvia Camparezzi, reader in Bioethics and Health Humanities. Last year, Sarah won King's Biotechnology and Society essay contest on the theme, In the future, there will be no humans as we know them. So what? Sarah's essay, Notes to No One, takes place in London after an ecological collapse where climate change, wildfires and endocrine disruptions have almost destroyed humanity. Through this imagined future, Sarah looks at humanity's relationship with nature and technology and asks the question, what does it even mean to be human anyway? In this episode, Sarah and Sylvia discuss the process of writing the essay and what struck Sylvia as a member of the judging panel when she read the essay. So let's hear what they have to say. Hi, my name is Silvia Camporesi and I'm a reader in bioethics in the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine. And uh, it's delighted to be here today for this conversation with Sarah Dahlen. Uh, Sarah is now a PhD student in uh, bioethics uh, in uh, the department and uh, formerly a master's student in bioethics and society. And we are here to discuss her fantastic essay, which won the 2021 um, Biotechnology and Society Essay Prize. This was an essay competition open to all students, undergraduate and postgraduate at King's College London. And um, Sarah won uh, the first prize. And so we're here to have a conversation about it. The essay title was very broad. And uh, actually I can't uh, take any merit for the essay title because the essay title was taken uh, from an essay from famous uh, bioethicist, bioethics scholar, Professor John Harris, who is a visiting professor in the department and emeritus professor at Manchester University. Uh, so what was this essay title? Well, in the future, there'll be no humans as we know them. And so what? And this is uh, the, the question that uh, Sarah addressed is in her fantastic essay. So, Sarah, what intrigued you about the essay title and you know, what do you want to share with us about it? Well, I just wanted to start by saying thanks so much for this conversation. Um, and Sylvia, it's lovely to be speaking with you in particular, given um, you know, your hard work in terms of supervising me and, and teaching us throughout this um, master's course and, and now this PhD. So, um, sincerest thanks for that. And also, I think, for um, being part of the, the judging panelists and the kind of instigators for creating this um, essay um, competition within the biotechnology and society sort of um, research group. And I think it was really funny, actually, because I did think that the, the essay title had come from John Harris, because I swear I could, I could hear his voice when I was reading the, the, um, 
the title because it just sounded exactly like the sort of question that he would ask. Um, and perhaps actually that was one of our readings and that's where that came from, I'm not sure. But I think um, the thing that was just really quite um, inspiring or I suppose provocative about that question is that you could take it in so many different ways, couldn't you? Um, because, you know, in the future, what future, how far in the future, what do we mean by that? There will be no humans, and what do we mean by humans, really, as we know them? Um, and so there were just so many kind of questions and layers as to that in and of itself, um, and as are familiar kind of from what we learn about in bioethics in particular. And then there was that question like, so what? Um, and in a way, you could interpret it as you know, like, would that necessarily be such a bad thing, really? Um, or is there something that we would, we would maybe be losing by various different sorts of um, changes to what we know about in terms of or what, how we how we picture humanity, how we see personhood, for example, how we kind of see humans, and so I think it just kind of got. Um, a bit stuck in my head. I think I described it as a bit of an earworm. And what, but what I really liked about the, the format of the, the kind of essay, I suppose, and, and the way that it was posed was, was that it was just such a, it was open to creativity and it was, you know, it, you, you weren't just wanting necessarily very academic sort of essays. And that to me, I think was just very, lovely and inspirational and in a way kind of it was a strangely therapeutic little piece to sit down and and write um so yeah that, can i just come in here because i think what you said sorry to interrupt but it was really interesting about you know a creative piece of writing we were not necessarily looking for an academic piece of writing and a bit of a therapeutic also so that's exactly what we were looking for. So I should have mentioned that it was the first time that um, the Biotechnology and Society Research Group launched this essay competition. And this is a research group hosted in the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine, chaired by my colleague, Dr. Sara Bea. She's a sociologist. Uh, and um, I was also a co-chair last year. And we decided that you know we wanted to explore the ethical and social implication on biotechnologies and what better way to do it than with a piece of creative writing so our students are asked to submit so many you know summative uh, formative essay and you know all the uh, critical engagement with the uh, scholarship and the literature and they are assessed on the basis of that but in this essay we didn't ask for you know critical engagement with the literature or we asked for a piece of creative writing. And uh, so that was maybe on the face of it uh, easier, but I actually think uh, it's more difficult to do so <laughs> because you got a, a blank slate. And, um, and in what sense uh, did you say it was um, therapeutic for you, Sarah, to, to write that? Well, on a lot of different layers, actually. And it's interesting because 
I think I, I was I was really hesitant as to whether or not I was even going to do anything about it because I was just like, gosh, just a bit stuck in my head, but it's like extra work. And I'm like, oh, I don't know necessarily. And so I just remember I was sitting, I mean, to be honest with you, the whole piece is a very kind of thinly veiled quasi speculative autobiographical sort of thing, if I'm honest. Um, because I, I remember I sat down, I was at actually underneath an oak tree on Hampstead Heath with my little notebook and feeling very, um, very fortunate as to be able to be going for a swim in the Hampstead Heath pond, which is um, what makes an appearance within the essay itself. Um, the essay is about a sort of a uh, woman who goes swimming, or was, wishes to go swimming, but is no longer able to do so um, because of various kind of events in terms of particularly with climate change and, and an ecological collapse. Um, but I think what happened was in terms of the day that I was kind of sitting down and deciding that I was actually going to respond, I suppose, personally to that uh, provocative essay title. Um, I think a lot of it I was drawing on was very much a sort of a sense of isolation, probably from the COVID-19 pandemic, um, a sense of a, um, th this kind of odd tension in terms of how we've been living our lives in response to, um, you know, things like lockdown and needing to keep people safe from, from a virus and a sort of um, re-emergence of this kind of like, well, I would not say re-emergence, maybe just emergence of a kind of like digital um, space in terms of how we're interacting and, and how we're living. That's much more so, um, like much more so than I would myself normally have prior to, prior to how, um, prior to various restrictions and, and this kind of emergence of COVID-19. And so there was that kind of element to it of a kind of difference between the physical and the digital. So that was, I was drawing in on that as well. And then there were various different, um, um, there are tiny things within that essay that are actually happening in terms of um, the, the world that are, you know, maybe perhaps under, maybe not necessarily under investigated, but there's all these various different things that are going on environmentally um, and in terms of this question of, um, yeah, how we, how we want to be living our lives in terms of the future and our relationship with nature and the environment and the tangible versus the intangible that I think I put into the piece partially because a lot of it was stuff that I was already kind of thinking about. And one thing I will say is that perhaps the essay is slightly catastrophizing. <laughs> so it was quite good to be able to kind of put it all into one piece and just be like, okay, that's outside of myself right now. I'm going to send it to someone else and we'll see what happens. Well, we are so grateful that you were able to, to send it. And let's talk a little bit more about this essay. So the essay, it's titled Notes to No One, and you can uh, access it from uh, a link uh, on uh, King's web pages. But um, I think, you know, as, as you mentioned, the oak tree, you were thinking about it uh, as you were sitting by an oak tree in Amstead East, and this was 
partly or largely autobiographical, but set in the future. So let me, let me just read the first... Uh, actually, maybe it's better if you read Sarah because of my Italian accent. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so this is my essay, Notes to No One. She walked alone on her daily pilgrimage to a place that lived only in memory. The oak tree had seen better days, as had all of what remained of the greenery in the park. Heat bit down on the barren brown patches of dirt, but she could still just about make out where the path once lay. A hollow echo and the familiar chafing of sandals accompanied each of her footsteps as she trudged along the familiar terrain. Dog walkers stopped being regular sights here some time ago, but occasionally she imagined hearing barking in the distance. Likewise, in the corner of her eye, she might just make out phantom blackberries on the bushes, despite these plants being long dead and prone to wildfire. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So this was the beginning of your essay, Notes to No One, in which you explore a possible future in which there'll be no humans as we know them. I also read from some of my notes that there were uh, put together as we discussed with the other members of the judging panel, Professor John Harris and Dr. Sarah Bea, about the essays that came in. And we really liked yours because it uh, addressed the question, but it was beautifully written, very powerful, but also very real. It was something that we could all connect to. The essay is set up in a post-ecological collapse in London, where climate change wildfires and other kind of disruptions have led to the near end of humanity and other types of life as we know them. Most of life has been transferred to the digital arc, the new home that humans and their technological progeny have built for themselves, where they can be sustained in extracorporeal form through vast amount of data. In this future, only a handful of humans remain tethered to their organic selves. And this would be the protagonist of the story. What does it mean to survive in this future where the real world has ceased to be the world of the flesh? For the protagonist, it means to walk, to swim, to write, and through writing, to remember and continue to exist. For how long, it's not clear, because subsistence is difficult in corporeal form in this future, where it's easier to be transferred to the digital arc. Anyhow, the essay is really, you know, although it's quite short, because we had a word limit for this essay competition of 3,000 words, there are so many themes uh, that the essay touches upon. Maybe we can explore a few, and these are themes that are discussed at length in bioethical literature, but also in science fiction or speculative literature, identity, memory, personhood and nature, and the meaning of reality. The essay raises questions that all of us are confronted with as ecological crisis, the pandemic and technology change the meaning of reality as we know it. So of all these themes, which, in particular, Sarah, maybe like to discuss with us? One of the questions that I had for myself was this kind of nature of what, what then becomes the real world, if that makes sense. Um, 
like what what is that nature of reality if let's say that in the future um you know in order to have some sort of semblance of i don't know human consciousness or something like that um saved through some sort of digital mechanism let's say because there's no way of reversing let's hope that there is um but if there's no way of reversing sort of the damage that has been done to the planet what's the nature of reality in in that sort of situation if the sort of the tangible versus the the intangible as it were in terms of for example uh so in in the piece the swimmer um is no longer able to go into the water anymore because the water has receded and become very toxic and muddy and um there's no way of actually being able to swim but she imagines or she's told for example that in this alternative reality and i suppose we see this in questions of even now with um virtual reality and various kinds of simulations and things becoming much much better in terms of being able to kind of replicate um uh let's say the the environment of of something or other um that you know if if she were to go into what i call the digital arc but a sort of this kind of like digital consciousness this digital space where she wouldn't exist as as a human bound by flesh and blood but she would somehow be in this kind of um um alternate sort of environment and here of course you have to take some creative license because i have no idea how it would work in in <laughs> in actual kind of circumstances technologically or you know physically but um that's what's nice about creative writing is that you can just invent a, a artificial intelligence that's more intelligent than any <laughs> any author possibly could be but i suppose the the question one of the questions that i had was also just like is if you had this limitless ability to create in the digital space to you know would that be better would that be worse would that be what what would that mean to go for a swim if you are in this sort of digital that speaks to the you know what reality the meaning of reality as we know it the memory through writing so i i'm interested because uh, i think the well, we we read together the beginning of your essay but i think the end is also very powerful so i'm i'm going to read the, the end of the essay and then we can talk a little bit about also the role of speculative fiction and in uh, you know uh, thinking through what the technology might bring in the future um okay so that's the uh, the end of the essay um she hid her notes in various places around the pond popping them in different containers she knew no human would ever be likely to find her words paper degrades ink fades the drones might well destroy these little scraps a fire could take out the whole place besides who or what on earth was left that would ever come to this pond 
She rose slowly and folded the day's thoughts into the rusted honesty box where she once used to contribute a, a pound coin per swim. This time she had written only one sentence. What if they can't read cursive? Which I thought was beautiful, beautiful ending to this essay. What if they can't read cursive? It's, you know, part of what it means to be human, not to be digital, but to, you know, uh, be humans as we know them in the flesh is also to be able to, to write and to write in cursive. Uh, and science fiction and speculative fiction like this essay really prompts us or brings us to discuss many of the speculative futures that technology poses. Also, I should have mentioned earlier that uh, Sarah um, in addition to being a, now a bioethics and society graduate at King's, uh, is a medical doctor by background. So do you think that you brought your experience as a medical doctor possibly to this piece? Uh, how does this influence your thoughts? You know, the whole business, I suppose, or, or much of it, is learning about the body and the human body specifically. And it's a very kind of, um, it's a very kind of fleshy, messy business, if that makes sense. You see kind of all sorts of things that go on with the human body and you learn about all sorts of things that go on with the human body and you meet people when they're very vulnerable because of something that's happened to their body or they might be psychologically a bit vulnerable about explaining something that's going on with their body or that kind of thing. So I think that that relationship between kind of the, the fleshy and kind of how we think of ourselves as humans, um, yeah, I think probably my medical practice or my medical training would have influenced my thinking um, certainly to, to some, some degree. And I think some of the other um, kind of smaller things that were brought up in the piece, particularly regarding um, reproduction and these like endocrine disruptors. I remember actually going to a, um, doing my, in, doing kind of a small placement at a hospital in Denmark that was specifically, this was many years ago actually, but it was specifically um, to do with the fact they were concerned then that, you know, we're having um, a particularly male fertility uh, impacted by various things within the environment and various kind of like um, phthalates and plastics and, and pollutant things that could be impacting things. And this was a few years ago now, but I remember even then thinking, Oh gosh, why aren't more people talking about this? If that makes sense. Um, and so I think that there are small elements there um, from from what I've experienced. But the, the kind of broader thing of being able to separate oneself from one's body is certainly something that I found very um, interesting, especially from a sort of medical perspective where it feels like the two are, are so intimately entwined, if that makes sense. Mm. 
speaking of separating oneself from one's own body and, and reproduction, one of the futures that technology might open up for us is the future in which we would have ectogenesis. Ectogenesis means uh, genesis outside of the body. Ecto means outside. So ectogenesis uh, usually uh, is an umbrella term that refers to artificial womb technologies, uh, such mm. as those that are able to uh, sustain um, premature babies, uh, and, but also in neonatal intensive units. Uh, you know, we know that the limit uh, for survival outside of the body has been, uh, you know, being pushed uh, forward to 20 or 21 weeks of gestation. But as it have been experiments uh, in ectogenesis in, uh, in animals a couple of years ago, in particular there was one being done in lambs. So a future a dystopic, um, not a dystopic future, but a possible future would um, see this technology uh, as a service of humanity so that we can uh, separate uh, reproduction from the female body. And that opens up all kind of uh, medical, bioethical and social question and implication mm -hmm. for what it means to you know, be a parent and for reproduction. But um, maybe we, don't, we can talk about um, the future of technology insofar as um, uh, you spoke about reproduction as we're going to have uh, uh, in the near future, or we already have in the present, uh, in some countries we have home transplants. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is happening and that you're bringing your medical background together with your bioethical and philosophical um, attitude to, to it for your PhD. I don't know. The, the first thing I'm thinking about is is actually even just something like IVF and ICSI um, in terms of exogenesis. And I know that sounds a little bit silly, yeah. but kind of... Yeah, would you mind just explaining what IVF and ICSI are for those who might not be familiar with um, to, to yeah, the acronyms? No. no, so actually just thinking about that same placement, I remember actually witnessing um, when they were doing the ICSI kind of transfer. So IVF is in vitro fertilization. It's quite a common um, procedure that quite a few people will probably know about these days. And that's essentially when you are creating um, embryos outside of, the, outside of the body. So you take um, the gametes, so you take an egg and a sperm, and you kind of fuse them together in a lab laboratory, you let them meet, and then you create these um, embryos that are usually then um, created for the purpose of um, assisted reproduction. So you would then transfer those embryos back into a womb in order to create a new human life. Um, but obviously there's different um, uh, kind of you can use IVF for different sorts of things, but that's the kind of general, um, the general feeling for why why um, when people undergo IVF. And ICSI is intracytoplasmic sperm injection. So essentially, ICSI is, is done when there's um, um, problems in terms of male fertility, in terms of the sperm uh, mobility or quality. And so what happens is that instead of your standard in vitro fertilization where you would just kind of allow the process to happen um, without any further intervention 
what the what the laboratory technician would do then is they would choose one one of the sperms that looks as though it's moving and looking about the quote-unquote correct way and then they would choose that sperm and inject it into the egg themselves so it's an intracytoplasmic injection of that sperm into that egg and that then creates an embryo um and i mean one of the things that i remember just thinking there is that it's it was an incredible thing just to think that that one person sitting behind, you know, a, a microscope would be the one who's like picking the sperm that would then go into the egg that would then create this embryo and that there was this quite a big amount of power. And so uh, this is a bit of a roundabout discussion, but what I'm saying is that I think that there's um, things happening in terms of creating new humans perhaps, um, even in technologies that are more familiar and that are more kind of clinically known and accepted, such as IVF and ICSI, that are still quite interesting if you think about them from a sort of ethical way and, and from a sort of way of, um, you know, like a kind of way of thinking that this would be unfathomable you know, maybe it was, you know, a hundred years ago, this would just be like nuts mm -hmm. that people would be doing this. Yeah, and so maybe, sorry to, to interrupt, but uh, I think what you said is really interesting. So you just said, you know, this was unfathomable if, uh, 100 years ago. So it was one of those dystopic future that then has become a present. So it's one of those things that can be discussed by fiction or by uh, creative assets like yours, and but in a way really addresses questions that then humanity has to be confronted with. So why are these interesting bioethical questions? I mean, we're talking here about reproduction, we're talking about separating the human uh, from the flesh uh, with, in different ways, and here reproduction is one of the ways in which, uh, as humanity, one of the key uh, ways in which we survive. Uh, we're talking about a future in which uh, we will be no humans as we know them. So the future of the human species. According to John Harris, who came up with the title, there's nothing wrong with the future in which there will be no humans as we know them. And so what? I mean, it's uh, always provocative uh, and intriguing. And it says, so what? There will be different kinds of humans. We will be all stored up in some sort of digital arc. We'll reproduce in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with it. We should be excited about it. For others, these futures are really concerning. And where do you stand? And maybe in what ways are these you know, interesting bioethical questions? Well, I suppose maybe I'm a little bit old fashioned. <laughs> and so I think for me, uh, I would sort of mourn that, uh, that loss of the fleshy, I don't know, and the loss of the familiar and the sort of, um, perhaps there is a sense of, uh, you know, I'm not religious or anything like that, but a sense of the, that there's kind of perhaps there's limits to what we should be getting involved with versus versus not and I'm not entirely sure it's it's a difficult one too because once you have gotten to a certain point where for example perhaps this is the only way of survival is to 
you know, um, push forward. And even if you have to leave this sort of um, a corporeal setting or a familiar setting, at least that means that humanity survives in some form. I suppose for me, the main kind of thing that I would be thinking about in that case is how do we stop those kinds of things from happening in the first place in the sense of in this dystopian essay how do we you know make it so that the environment is is better and habitable for humans and how do we make it so that we're looking after the planet because in a sense that essay too is a little bit like you know you've you've abandoned this this little ecosystem that we call home um, and obviously that would then have catastrophic effects potentially for all the rest of the species. But uh, your essay really is, uh, you know, so beautifully written and also touches upon so many topics, including, you know, uh, you mentioned ecology or the fact that, you know, it's set up in a post-ecological um, uh, collapse in London and the fact that we need to take care of our planet. We need to think about survival, not just about survival of the human species, but also survival of uh, the environment, uh, and survival of um, uh, other non-human species. For example, you mentioned at the beginning of your essay uh, that dog walkers stopped being regular sites some time ago because there will be no dogs in this future. And, you know, uh, going back to bioethics and the survival of the human species, let me just uh, you know, say something that uh, I always mention at the beginning of uh, every year with the students. You might remember my lecture number one of, <laughs> of critical bioethics is that where does bioethics come from? It's really uh, from a little book that was published now 50 years ago. Um, going towards 51, in 1971 in Washington DC, a little book called uh, Bioethics, A Bridge to the Future, written by an oncologist, a medical doctor, so somebody like you, Sarah, was a medical doctor by background, but was uh, interested in uh, the ethical implication of technology or biomedicine, and thought that we needed a new discipline, bioethics, that could bring together the science of human values with the science of uh, the study of technologies to really think of a future uh, of our planet, the future of our species, uh, but in a way in which we could uh, have an ethical use of technology to ensure the survival of our planet. So bioethics 50 years ago had that, you know, uh, like broad vision about uh, uh, so all sorts of issues that we needed to, to tackle. And uh, that's why bioethics is, is so important uh, today and uh, really touches upon all of us. Uh, and your essay really uh, connects uh, uh, very deeply to the reality that we're all experiencing through the pandemic. We are all, you know, different uh, ways, maybe uh, feeling um, uh, alienated in, <laughs> or at some point or I felt uh, alienated. I felt that our reality, the meaning of reality has changed deeply. And uh, through fiction, uh, we can reflect on, uh, on the use of technology and, and think about other futures. Some we might want to create, but others we might want to avoid. I think that's right. And I think sometimes, particularly within science fiction, 
and speculative fiction, there is that kind of question of um, dystopia and utopia and things kind of almost happening at the same time. I suppose where we're at at the moment is kind of perhaps thinking about where we are and where we want to go. And I suppose every generation thinks it's, it's the same way, but uh, in a sense, we're the custodians of of the current um, situation and, and the current state of the planet. And it's up to us to kind of decide where we want to, to go next. Thank you, Sarah. Beautifully said and beautifully written. And it was really nice to uh, chat today with you about uh, all of these topics and uh, bioethics. So look forward to more discussion of this kind in the future. And uh, thank you, Julia, for hosting us. And uh, great. It was great to see you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sylvia and Julia. You've been listening to the World We Got This In Conversation podcast with Sarah Darlin and Dr. Sylvia Camparezzi. You can read Sarah's essay, Notes to No One, on the King's website. Today's episode was brought to you by the School of Global Affairs, produced by Julia Stepowska and edited by Grace Harley.